0: I'm the one that is highlighted. um, Just as I said last week, imagine your sin being on on display for all to read about and, and, you know, discuss and figure out and all, you know, and comment on and all of those things. But I think it was a, for me, and I know for a number of you, it was sobering um, to see... It's someone who was a man after God's own heart could also be in this position of this great sin Um, But we saw in all of that a couple of things One is the road that led to it and that our way of learning is if we can understand the things that led up to that sin Perhaps we can mitigate for some of that ourselves Um, Because we definitely saw him at ease, you know, jerry said this morning something along the lines of that um, That success is like poison and I think that we saw that in david without a doubt, you know The kingdoms united there's no saul chasing trying to kill him anymore more everything's going well the people love him and then we had the fall um so but we also saw last week that um that unfailing grace and mercy of god Um, And that um, that that same mercy that um, saved him and forgave him is the same mercy that forgives us. And um, so whether our sin is that sin or not, that sin, that there is a God in heaven um, who has um, made it possible for us to receive forgiveness um, no matter what. And, um, And for that, we can be we can be thankful. So in light of all that. What is? How do we respond um, to God's call on our life? We're going to look at, um, it says the text, and it says Ephes- me, Ephesians 2.10, and I will tell you— I- I'm one of those people that when someone's just going to use one verse, it just makes me a, makes me a little nervous, you know, so, you know, because you got this one verse, you're going to take it out of context of all of this, and you're going to do a whole lesson on that one verse. So I um, I will let you know that I'm certainly um, cognizant of that and, and have been prayerful about um, this particular verse. We are as we get later into the um, later into the lesson, we will go back and look at some of the earlier verses because I think you'll see some connectivity between the theme in that first chapter of Ephesians and the second half of this particular verse. Um, so I, I, I won't try to deal with it as a standalone verse, but I, I trust that we won't get off track. I'm trying to take one verse at a time. So with that in mind, let us read Ephesians 2.10. Uh, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. we're going to look at two questions tonight. And then at the end, I have a challenge for each of us. The questions are, what does it mean to be the workmanship of God? And then the second is, what does walking in good works look like in everyday life? So what is meant when he says we're the workmanship of God? And then these, we've got these good works that he has prepared beforehand. So, what does it look like on a day-to-day basis for us to be walking in in those works? Um, so, let's begin with what does it mean to be the workmanship of God? When you hear the workmanship of God, what comes to mind for you? So, what do you think about when you when he says you are the workmanship of God? His creation? His creation? Yeah, his creation. Someone else? Hmm. A clay pot. I like it. Yes. Someone else? Anyone else? You are the workmanship of God. Master. Masterpiece. Masterpiece. Yes. Yes. Huh? A product. Something has been produced. Absolutely. You know, there's a, it's interesting when you look at the, there's three translations I put for you in here one that I read and that's from the ESV which is uh, my preferred version but f- f- we, it says for we are his workmanship but the NIV says we are God's handiwork and the Re- revised standard version says we um, for we are what he has made us so I think in everything that you said is sort of contained in that that w- that word that Excuse me. That thought of the workmanship, so embedded in that, seems to be carrying this idea that we are what God has made us to be. Um, there seems to be, and we'll see this a little bit later. There seems to be this consistent theme early here in Ephesians about what God Himself has done, um, and that we are His. That we are His workmanship. Second um, Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So not just simply created by God, but a new creation by God. Um, so in this new creation, I would say it's in contrast to what became of the former creation, because the original creation um, was made, you know, in the image of God, but then it, there was a sin. So after the fall, that, that creation has now fundamentally changed, something has fundamentally changed about it. So now we have this new creation This workmanship is this new creation that has been created in contrast to what became of the former creation. Um, I would also add that I think also that this new creation is why he could say that you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Because you are a new creation in Christ. You are. It's still emphatic. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. This is what this is, I think, is all in that workmanship of God. Additionally, I think, as I mentioned, I, I mentioned the contrast. I think it also takes us back. Two, or should be sort of reminiscent of the original creation story in Genesis, the first chapter and the second chapter. Three things that we see in there. Number one is that God was the source of the original creation. Right? We know that from Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. So he was the source of the original creation. Secondly, in that original creation, the original creation was also a manifestation of God. So everything that was created manifests something about God. Um, it's, it's interesting when you look at um, you look at artwork. My my son is uh, loves art and loves to draw, and actually has been getting paid for drawing a logo or so here. So I'm just trying to pitch a little business his way because I'm. Try- <laughs> Brother's trying to retire, you know, so, so the sooner you can get him making money, the easier my life, then I'll be willing to do this every week. If you could just pay, you could just let him pay the bills, right? So, but, um, but I will tell you, in looking at his artwork, because I have seen it for so many years, I feel like I can recognize it when I see it. Because there is, even though he's drawing something different each time or he's drawing something for someone, there is something about it. There is something there that tells me that that came from him. I think you see the same thing in that original creation. As a matter of fact, and I'm going to ask you to turn to a few scriptures tonight. If you would turn over to um, Romans, the first chapter, and we're going to look at verse 18 verses, excuse me, 18 through 20. Interesting here is as Paul is writing as Paul is writing about God's wrath on unrighteousness is something in here that I think you see about this creation, this original creation for the wrath of God. This is verse 18 for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So we have contained in those verses that, that Paul is saying that the, the creation itself reveals something about God to everyone, to everyone. I think sometimes I have had a tendency to think that, that people don't know God, but actually this says everybody knows he exists. But there's this sense of, there's this suppression of the truth. And my pastor used to say, the more you suppress the truth, the bigger the lie when it comes back out, because the further down I push it, the further out the lie comes when it comes out. Right. So we see this suppression of the truth. Now, this is in no way saying and then we'll move on. This is in no way saying that they understand salvation, that they know of the, the all of those things. That's not what it's saying here, but that there is a fundamental knowledge that God exists is what God is saying. And so we're seeing that through his creation. So the creation itself, the creation itself was a manifestation of the glory of God. Make sense. Amen. All right. Third thing about this original creation, and then we'll move on to the new creation is that there was purpose in that new creation. You know, you see even in the early in Genesis, in that second chapter, before the fall, he says that Adam was to work and to keep the garden. There was something he was supposed to be doing. I, I used to think that he that because of the fall, that's why I have to go to work. But apparently, <laughs> we, we would have been working anyway, right? <laughs> just wouldn't have been growing weeds and stuff. But, <laughs> but we'd still been working, apparently. So, so there was always going to be something we were going to have that we would be doing. I don't know. Maybe we think that when you go to heaven, we're going to sit back and relax, too. Maybe we're going to be working. I don't you know. I don't know. It'd be a different kind of work, though. It'd be a different kind of work. But at any rate, he was to work. He was the work, the garden. And then Proverbs in Proverbs, the 16th chapter in the fourth verse, I think, is one of the most sobering verses in all of Scripture. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. I think one of the versions says even the wicked for the day of judgment, everything has a purpose for God. Everything that he has done has has purpose. So what about the new creation then? So now this new creation, this workmanship of God, who are we? What is that purpose? One is we definitely know that God is the source of the new creation. Um, We see that in the text that we read. um, And you also see that Ezekiel lets us know, if you remember in the 36th chapter of Ezekiel, he says that I'm going to sprinkle water on you and I'm going to take away your stony heart and give you a heart of flesh. and I'm going <clears> to <throat> place my spirit within you and cause you. To keep my commandments and to obey my laws. So we know that even in this new creation, clearly God is the first cause, just like he was in the oak in the former creation, the first cause of the new creation. This new creation is also a manifestation of the glory of God. So when we think of this workmanship, this creation, God, we are, in fact, a manifestation of the glory of God, much like the artist's rendition that I, that I referenced earlier. And I'm referencing, referencing Parker, that, that manifestation, I believe, we see in our behavior. In the behavior. So we are representative of the, in this new creation, we are, those behaviors, those fundamental changes in our behaviors are those things that are representative of God because He's placed His Spirit um, within us. If you would turn um, briefly, if you would, to 1 Peter, the second chapter, beginning at verse 9. So first Peter, the second chapter, verse nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a excuse me, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, this is where I want to get to. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. And we've heard this before, right? And glorify God on the day of visitation. So, again, tying back to something we talked about earlier in those Beatitudes, but there is this fundamental change that has happened in our behavior. And therefore, this new creation is now a manifestation of the glory of God. Amen. And then the new creation certainly has purpose. And it's the purpose that I want to I think we should turn our eyes to at this point. Um, One of the things I said earlier was as we were looking as we were about to enter into um, as we were about to enter into verse uh, verse 10 is that there that um, we weren't looking at all the other verses, um, the context around those particular verses. So I want to do that briefly. Um, One is I think that these verse that verse 10 is a continuation of a theme that started in chapter one. Um, What we have in chapter one is we really get this sense we get this understanding and it appears that the Holy Spirit through Paul went to great lengths to let us know that salvation and the effects of salvation are all of God. Again, still, by the time we get to the workmanship of God, he's already talked about some things that have happened that happened before the foundation of the world. As a matter of fact, the book starts out in the first chapter. It reads very much in the same sort of theme as the beginning of the Gospel of John. Um, very much in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Excuse me, and the word was God. The same here. If you, what, I, what I think is interesting in these verses, if you look at the, the first chapter beginning at verse 3, is note how many times he uses the word he, and he uses the word him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he... Chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy again back to that purpose that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through blood, and he goes on down. I won't read all of those, but if you read through that, you just see this consistent theme of what God has done. So that by the time we get to the 10th verse, by the time we, actually, let's get, by the time we get to the 8th verse, let's go there first, it won't be so shocking what he's saying to them, and that is, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So you've been saved by grace, and there's... Two arguments in terms of whether or not this when he's talking about the gift, whether he's talking about the salvation as the gift or whether he's talking about the faith as the gift. Um, I've heard I've heard both of them, and I think there's probably room for both of them because they're both accurate, in my opinion. Now, I think in the context of the scripture, I actually think he's talking about the faith. I think in essence, he's saying not only are you saved apart from any works, but the very faith that you have, I gave it to you. Amen. Amen. How beautiful is that? So he has given me what's required for me to be found pleasing in his sight. Amen. Amen. So the faith itself has originated with God and been given to us, excuse me, and has been given to us then as a gift. He then goes on to say that for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So even the good works that you're going to do have been foreordained by God himself. So, I'm, so that at the end of this, when you are in my presence, there will be no flesh to glory. Because we will all know that all of salvation has been of him. I believe that's what we see in this workmanship that that is what's contained in there, that we are, in fact, the workmanship of God. And he's gone, as I said, to great lengths to show us all that he has done in us and through us. Amen. Amen. All right. So let's then talk about why that's important. I said a little bit about this at the beginning, but why is it important, I think, to stress that? I think primarily because I have found that there are seasons in my life when God seems a bit far away. I mean, there are times in my life when he seems so distant and the certainty of this language tells me that the end is certain um, the, the certainty in that language that, that he did this before the foundation of the world. And Ezekiel scripture that I quoted should bring great comfort to our hearts because he says, I'm going to place my spirit in you and cause you to keep my commandments again. The, that there's some certainty that this is going to work out, um, that there are times of that. I guess I would say that there are times when my eyes tell me one thing, but these scriptures are telling me something different, right? That irrespective of what I'm seeing with my eyes, irrespective of what I may be feeling emotionally, that these words here are there for comfort to let me know that it is actually certain, that the end is certain, that I am, you are, someday will be fully conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, even if today you don't see it. Even if today, You don't feel it. Even if this morning your prayer felt dry and wrote and whatever it was that happened, that these scriptures are written this way to calm our hearts, to remind us that this is all his doing and that he he is, as Paul said, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If he said, I'm sure of this, that you, Tony, are going to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, then I'd be in trouble. Because I know I can't bring it to completion. But we can, he could say that with certainty to give comfort to our hearts in those times when it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. When we look at David's life, it was certain, right? He said, "What well, I will chastise him with the rod of men, but my, but my love I will never remove from him like I did with Saul. Amen. 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 All right. So for the leader then. What does it? What is walking in good works look like in in everyday life? Um, I want to say one thing. What? Well, first of all, there's a typo in your in in that first scripture. That's actually first. I'm um, actually should be. I think that should be Second Peter one eight. What does yours say? to It should be one eight. It should be one eight. I changed it in mine, and I want to make sure I didn't change the wrong one. So, so it should be Second Peter one eight. You know, it's interesting. Before we go into though, before we talk about these things that I think um, are really what, what, what leadership is ultimately about in terms of how this plays out on a day to day basis, I would just wanted to pause long enough to, I think, just to reflect again on the importance of abiding in Christ. Um, that, you know, Peter's written here, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he had gone through and listed all of these characteristics, that if these things are in you and growing, they will prevent you from becoming unfruitful. Um, I think that ties very much, ties directly to what Christ says when he tells us to abide in me, abide in me and I in you. And we said that that abiding, I know I've said it two weeks in a row, I'm going to say it one more time because it's so important, that abiding, there are some things that we absolutely can do. Um, One is we need to be reading the scripture faithfully, reading the scripture faithfully, Praying without ceasing and gathering with the saints to hear the truthful preaching of his word. Those are the things that will that will go a long way toward keeping us abiding in Christ, because these next things I want to talk about with respect to leadership can't happen if I don't stay connected to the vine, because ultimately, right, I've got to remain connected to the vine. Amen. All right. Was that an amen? Or was that a, uh, Amen. Amen. All right. I'm just I'm just checking. All right. So, <laughs> Because if it wasn't, i was going to go back and say it again. <laughs> i <I'm> will just it. <teasing. laughs> so let's talk about those things. Um, the first thing is that true leader that I want to point out is that true leadership is about serving. I mean, oh, I think we heard that. I thought it was interesting. We heard that this morning. I mean, true leadership is about serving. It's an attitude that requires us to think of others before we think of ourselves. So much easier said than done, right? Unless, of course, I really like you. I mean, I'm not not having a hard time thinking of you before me when I like you. It's when I don't particularly care for you that that I find it a little challenging to think of you. you, You're laughing because you think I'm I'm the only one, but I know. (laughs) I know, right? That That is when I am most challenged to think of you before I think of me. Is when you there's something about you that rubs me the wrong way. And, and here's the reality: it is for me, it may not be for you. Your sin looks so much worse than my sin. Right? I mean, you know, familiarity. I'm familiar with my sin. Right. I've been I've been it's been with me for a long time. And so therefore, it just doesn't look that bad compared to your compared to yours. <laughs> so so when I start experiencing yours. It's hard to think of you before I think of me. There's a good reason why Jesus would say that, you, that I see the speck in my brother's eye when there's a log in my own eye. Amen? So leadership, leadership begins with serving. It begins with thinking of someone else before you think of yourself. A classic, a classic time when that comes up is when I have been wrong. It's when I have been wronged, because now you absolutely, in human terms, deserve my wrath. Right? I mean, you, you I, I, and I am the kind of person I have to fight to not speak my mind. I've never, no one's ever accused me of, you know, you walking around with all these pin-up feelings inside. That's that's not, unfortunately that's not me. <laughs> That's, that's that's not me. Um, that's I'm not that person. Um, so the, the hard thing in there is being able to is being able to take that and to hold on to it, and to be what long suffering, to suffer long with what you have done, with you have wrong, with the fact that you have wronged me. To ask myself is now the best time to tell Dave this? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, brother. This is actually this is actually one big intervention. <laughs> so no am, am I, is, this, is this the right time I mean, it 's not that i shouldn 't talk with him, but is now the time you said I, said, <laughs> <laughs> I tell everybody that brother <laughs> so yeah, so is is now the right time to say this to him, or should I hold on to it and go into some time of prayer? Should I spend some time? Andre and I were talking on the way home today. We were talking about some things that we 've heard um, and and we were talking about the the fact that. Nothing, none of those situations that that person has described to her will fundamentally change if she doesn't go and talk to the person who did it. It's just just not going to change. And if I keep running around telling people about it, but never telling you, it makes me wonder if we want to get it right. But that particular issue is a speck. Compared to the log that's in my eye, is what my point is. I can, we can drive home and I can judge that behavior all the way home because that's ugly. Because why? Because I speak my mind. So, of course, anybody that doesn't speak their mind, something's wrong with them. Okay. So, but that is a speck compared to the log. So this, this process of leading goes to something I, think, I don't think that Jerry said today about the disciples. That he said that they were, they were pursuing greatness. He was talking to them about pursuing leaseness. By bringing that child in their midst, that it was about being the least, that that was what leadership was about, not being the greatest, not being first. It's it's fundamentally smacks against everything we learn in our culture. You know, because and I'm not obviously not saying anything about trying to climb the ladder of success or any of that. I don't don't mean to go down that road. I just would say that sometimes I think what happens is we find out that the the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall Mm -hmm. and, and that wasn't the one we needed to be trying to get up. So, if I could Tony spend more time pursuing righteousness the way I pursue my work, oh my, I wonder what God might do. Amen, Amen. Amen. Mary Beth works with me, so she, she would, she's praying that I would pursue more righteousness. <laughs> she said, "Amen <laughs> no, That's not the way we rehearse this <laughs> that's, That was good though. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) So anyway, it begins with um, leading and uh, it begins with serving. And there are so many ways in which we can serve. It's an attitude. I would say to you that my last of my true confessions, I think that for my wife, the idea of serving seems to come more naturally. For me, it doesn't. It's it's not that I won't serve. It's not that I'm not looking for opportunities to serve. You know, she has to say, hey, did you hear what they said? And I'll jump right. Oh, yeah, let's go do it. But I wouldn't be the one who would necessarily notice it. I wouldn't be the one who would necessarily notice it. So I think as leaders, we want to be praying that God would show us and give us opportunities to serve. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's move on. True leadership is using your gifts for the building up of the kingdom. That God has gifted each of us with something in some way. And we are to use those gifts for the furtherance of the kingdom. I think sometimes when we hear the word gifts, we think of gifts that are outlined, say, in 1 Corinthians, right? So so we think of those as being gifts. But I want to take you back in time um, to Exodus, the 35th chapter. And I want you to note these gifts and the way these gifts were used. Exodus, the 35th chapter. And we're going to begin at verse 30. And I'm going to get in some light that my 50-year-old eyes can see. Oh, that's so much better. (laughs) Wow. Man. All right. So we want Exodus, the 35th chapter, beginning at verse 30. And I'm going to struggle through these names. I should have assigned this reading to Mary Beth. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel. All right. The son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And listen to this. And he has filled him with the spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold and silver and bronze in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahasemach. What did he say? Did he say, Bill? Did you get it? Ahasemach. Thank you, Bill. Ahasemach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. And two couple more verses. Be- Bezalel and a ah- and hook And all right, there you go, brother. And every craftsman, in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary, shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And then Moses goes on and says, tells him to do that. But, but my point in reading that is that that skill that they had, that skill they had, clearly came from God. They had been gifted, prepared in order to help do that work. In building of the temple, in building of the sanctuary, each of us have been gifted some way. You, maybe you're using it on your job. Maybe you're using it at home. I'm not sure where you're using it, but as the light of the world, part of leading is using that gift for the furtherance of God's kingdom. It is it is what makes that I don't, you probably all took it, but it's what makes that that assessment we have here that starts to help us identify gifts and, and, and those things that we have passions around. Um, clearly, there are some things that that you may love to do, but you're not you're not really good at it. And this, so we're going to try to steer you away from those. <laughs> you can cheer for people who are good at it. <laughs> so, but what are those things? Where are those gifts and how can they be used here? How can they be used here? How can they be used in the furtherance of the kingdom? I think that when we I would say that when we think of leaders, um, we think of someone who is using their gifts for the building up of the kingdom. Peter in first Peter four ten, he says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God, excuse me, as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Listen to that. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Why? In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So by using the gifts that God has given us for the furtherance of the kingdom, it is going to bring glory to God. It all. Amen. man, it all keeps coming back to glorifying God. That is what we do as leaders. That is how this plays out in our day to day life is we want to find that place where our gifts can be used for the furtherance of the kingdom. Amen. And the third point I want to make regarding this is that true leadership faithfully uh, is faithfully leading where God has placed us. I bring that back up. I know we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, but it is so important. It is so critically important that wherever God has placed us today, that we are that we are deliberate and intentional in our efforts to lead there. Um, my, Andra and I, again, I'm sorry I keep using it as an example, but <laughs> we, um, Andra Doug directs um, drama, directs drama. And she said to me, I, I will be my paraphrase of what you said, but we were talk, she was talking about gifts and she's talking about leading. And she said, you know, you know, even there, I should be leading. And my question to her, to me, to us is, wherever it is that God has us, how many times are we praying that God, would, that God would enable our light to so shine in that place that people would see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. That's certainly not my prayer in the morning before I go to work. I pray about a lot of things, but that doesn't happen to be that. Hasn't, I'm not as deliberate about that, that I want to make sure that wherever he has placed me, that I'm leading in a way that is going to honor him and going to glorify him, irrespective of my position. If I'm a, as a father, how am I doing that? That my light would so shine before my children that they would see these good works and glorify my Father who is in heaven. That that's what we saw early in David's life, and you'll recall that as he faithfully served. That it reminded it was a I said it should remind you of the parable of the talents and the fact that they had been they were faithful over a little and they had been given more to do. They had been given more because of their faithfulness of what they had done with what God had all already given them. Colossians three twenty three. Whatever you do. Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. In the context, he's talking about slaves, but I'm certain that it applies to what we do. Amen. Amen. That we would do all these things as if we're doing them for God and not doing them for man. So here's my challenge to you. To what extent are you faithfully leading where God has you? As the salt of the earth. Are you impacting the people around you? Is your light shining in such a way that people see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven? What I'd like to ask you to do right now is to think of a place where you would like to see God increase your influence. One of these places where he has you work, home, church, wherever. Where is a place that he has you that you think that's a place where I would like to increase my influence, a place where I want the light within me to be more evident To the people who are around me. So I want you to take a second. I'm going to be quiet for a second. I want you to take a second and think of a place. And jot it down if you would. Now however it is that you pray. Whether you got a prayer list. Or whatever your style is. However you keep up with what you're going to pray about. I would ask you to commit this to prayer. Let this become a part of your prayer. That God would do that in you, that I would be able to increase my influence in that place that I identified. And then the third part of this challenge is I want you to think of someone that you can share this with, that I can say that you can say to this person. This is the place that I want to increase my influence. This is the place where I want my light to shine in ways that it hasn't shined previously. And I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for me and make it a part of your prayer life. I want you, however you, whatever your prayer life is, however you again, however you keep up with it. I want you, when you think of me, think of what this is my need. I need to, I need more light shining in that place, and ask them to commit it to prayer. And then here's the scary part: ask them to follow up with you and see how it's going. (laughs) Yeah, there is something about accountability. There is something about making it real. I mean it's one thing to talk about it, it's another thing to put it down on paper. It's another thing to share it with another person. It's another thing to give that person permission to ask you about it, right? Because now you're going to be thinking about it. Now you're going to be praying about it. Now they're going to be praying about it. I believe that if we will do that, we will increase our influence in this world. If every one of us took our increased our if every one of us increased our influence In this world, what a difference that would be making. What a difference it would be making in the way in which God is glorified. I don't know if it's going to save more people. I can't tell you what's going to be done with it. But I can tell you that God is going to be glorified. And that's ultimately what this is about. From where we started to where we have landed, it has always been about bringing glory to God. It has always been about his glory. And it always will be about his glory. And anything that's not bringing glory to God, I have to ask myself if I need it in my life. This leadership that we've talked about is born out of a complete submission to the will of God. It's that connection to Christ. We saw it in David. We see it in Christ. We see it in the disciples. We see it in Paul. We see it in each other that we become that we become um, so connected to God that our that our works that are things that we say and do are a fundamental manifestation of who he is. John Piper said that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Amen. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That we that as leaders, that's where we are going to go. Um, I have enjoyed our time together. I was told that I'm, I was told that the structure is I should talk for about 45 minutes and then ask questions and answers. This is the first night I've been able to actually do that. Last week we were on time, though, right? <laughs> so I got closer. But uh, no, I just, you know, tonight I I, I wanted to, to shorten it and I wanted to encourage your hearts, um, just to encourage your hearts.